I want to begin by talking to you about something very basic to human need, very basic to who we are, and that's the very breath that's within us. It's probably something that we take for granted. We just breathe. You don't have to think about it. Just imagine, I mean, that's one of those things in your body. It's pre-programmed to breathe. You don't have to think about it. It's involuntary. And thank God for that, right? That you don't have to think about it every time you take a breath. But you take a breath and it feels good and it is what keeps us alive. Breathing. Breath after breath. And, and we may take that for granted. But if you give yourself three minutes without a breath, Three minutes, just three minutes away from eternity. You need that breath within you. In my time at the hospital, I serve on a floor that is dedicated to people who are on ventilators. People who cannot breathe on their own. And let me tell you something, it's very difficult to see people in that state to where they're struggling for every breath. That every breath within them is so valuable. Meanwhile, I'm breathing easy. It's easy for me to breathe right now. And what you see is this high state of anxiety that happens in the person that can't get their breath. And as a result of that, you see this vicious cycle that exacerbates the breath. Because if you get anxious, think about it. When you get anxious, it's hard to catch your breath. And if you're having trouble breathing already, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to watch. I'm reminded of this story of a young girl whose name was Charity. And just 20 years old, she was diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension. And as a result of that pulmonary hypertension, her lungs were disabled and her heart was swelling three sizes the, uh, the size that it should be. And what made matters worse is that she was already, at the age of 20, a world-renowned opera singer. Imagine that. Having this gift, having this ability to be able to sing, but not to be able to breathe. One doctor told her, you got to quit. You have to stop singing. Those high notes are going to kill you. You're singing your own obituary. But she didn't stop singing. In fact, she traveled. She was highly medicated. She also had an apparatus, a pump, literally hooked up to her lungs underneath the costume, and she would sing. Eventually, it got to the point to where she couldn't even stand hardly anymore. She couldn't have that breath of life in her. She was struggling. But she had a double lung transplant. Thirteen and a half hours of surgery. In that surgery, she flatlines twice. They use 40 quarts of blood to keep her alive. And after the surgery, they keep her chest open for two weeks. 
Not only did she receive a new lease on life, but eight months later she sang for the very clinic that gave her those new lungs. Now can you imagine in your mind and in your heart what it felt like to receive that breath of life? To receive that newness of life? To be able to sing again? Her life was restored to her. Her song was restored to her. You see, spiritually, we, we can suffer from the same thing. That we lose that vitality of spiritual health. That we lose that breath of God that's within our lives. That our lives can be riddled with addiction, loneliness, hopelessness, trauma, abuse, guilt, shame, brokenness of sin. And it robs us of that breath of life within us and our spiritual health suffers as a result. We've heard that refrain in our lives. You may have even said it in your life, but you've probably heard other people say this, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. That spiritual life and that brokenness. And my question comes to each of us this morning. With the newness of life, with the power of life that God has spiritually, the question comes to each of us, have we really said yes to God? Have you really said yes to God? Because what I find a lot of times in my own life is that I try everything else, and especially first, other than God. Well, we got our self-help books. We've got self-reliance. That's what they tell you. We've got psychology. We've got food. We've got drink. We've got drug. We've got work. We've got lovers. We've got education. We've got jobs. We've got shopping. We've got a house. We've got a place. But have we tried the Savior? Have we tried God for that vitality and that breath of life and newness? Because ultimately, Christianity isn't about self-reliance. It isn't about doing it on your own. It's ultimately about two things. Surrender. Surrendering to God and to His power. That's why Jesus says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Ultimately, Christianity isn't about getting it all right. It's about surrendering to someone who can get it right for you. And as a result of surrendering to the God of heaven, your life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the same power that has created the universe begins to work in your life. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show His handiwork. The same God that created the heavens and earth wants to work in your life. Isn't that an amazing thought? And that's why God says, Behold, I make all things new. I am doing a new thing. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to do a new thing, a creative thing. Our lives guided by the love of God. 
1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love because He laid down His life for us. Have you ever known that kind of love before? When you think about the love that you have expressed in your life by your parents, by your spouse, by your friend, a lot of times we find that that, best, that love is best expressed when we think about what? The sacrifice. I've heard countless people talk about their parents and they say, I know how much they love me because they sacrificed something for me. And how much truer is it of God we know His love because of His sacrifice through Jesus. And that gets us to Isaiah chapter 43. Which the story of Isaiah is a phenomenal one. He's this prophet that's been called to prophesy and to preach to a bunch of people who are eventually going to forget God and be carried away into captivity. It's not a grand revival. In fact, it is a story of doom and gloom for the most part. But in this prophecy, there is hope, there is life, there is light because that's not the end of the story for the people of Israel. Because Isaiah points to a time when the Messiah is coming. And he speaks in the first half of the book about the glory of the Messiah. And then the second part about the suffering servant of the Messiah. But his story and his preaching is for them to repent and to turn. And he prophesies that one day Jerusalem will be destroyed. He prophesies about this about a hundred years before it happens, that Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Babylonians. And we have a picture of that in 2 Chronicles 36, 19 and 20. Listen to this. Talking about the Babylonians, they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, destroyed all its precious possessions, and those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon where they became servants. Now I don't know what that sounds like to you. But that sounds like loss. Unimaginable loss. Your city is burned down. Your house is burned down. The house of God is burned down. And you're taken off to another land to become servants. And it's in the midst of this unimaginable loss that God promises something very unique. He says in chapter 43, verse 18, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. So amidst this loss, amidst this despair, God promises that He is going to do something new to restore the people of God. How many of us have fallen into that state of loss and mourning and despair in our own life? Not finding the hope within ourselves, not finding the strength within ourselves, but needing someone else to help us. And the first thing that the prophet tells us is, where is your focus? And he says, your focus doesn't need to be on the past. He says, do not remember the former things. And the past is a powerful thing, isn't it? 
The past is important, and we can't undermine the importance of it because it is important. But where is our focus in our life? You see, the, the past is important, number one, is because it got you here. If it wasn't for your past, you wouldn't be here. So it's important, right? You need your past. It's significant. And in fact, our past teaches us. We learn from it. It's who we are, in a sense, It's the lens in which we look at the world is is our past. But we have to realize that our past is limited. You know what? Your past that you're thinking about right now, I don't know what you walked into this church from in your life, but even the thought of your past is a reconstruction of your mind. So guess what? It's not totally true. You think you know your past. And yes, to a degree, we do know our past. But there are things that we focus in on in our past and there's things that we don't. But how many conversations have been lost in your memory? How many things have you lost in your memory? So no matter what, our past is a reconstruction of the mind. So we have to be careful when we focus on the past. People can distort your past, can't they? Well, that didn't happen. I didn't say it like that. You ever been in an argument? You know people can distort your past. I just said that, and I didn't say it like that. I promise. But our past cannot be touched by today. You can't go back. You can't get into a time machine that I'm aware of. But the fact of the matter is, is that God was there in your past. He was. And it's probably why you're here. But we can't focus on that past because sometimes if our past becomes our present, then number one, we succumb to the paralysis of our failures. Hey, I failed. I've made mistakes. And if we look back and we focus on that too much... And we never forgive ourselves. We're paralyzed by that. Winston Churchill, I like how he said it. Success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. I've certainly felt that way. I'm not losing enthusiasm. But also our victories can paralyze us too, can't they? I've done it. I've arrived. I've done a lot of good stuff. See you later. Not realizing that our spiritual lives are relationship. It's like getting married, going to the wedding, and say, okay, I'm married and that's all I got to do. All of us know that the wedding is the beginning of the marriage. And that there's a process and, and that there's a relationship there. And it's the same with the Lord. And if we focus too much on the past, whether it's our failures or our victories, God can't do a new thing. And God wants to do a new thing in your life. He says in verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Verse 19, and listen to this. He says, Now. Isn't that a powerful word? We are living in the now. We are living in the present. And in this present tense, In this moment now, we all have a beautiful gift that is given by God, and it's called a 
choice. A choice, and that means that whatever happened into the past, it does not totally dictate what happens in the future. But there is a power in right now that God is giving you and He's wanting to do. Paul said it like this, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Paul also said, Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Redeem that time. God is giving you this moment for a reason. And He's given you a choice. And I like what Isaiah says here. He says this about this new thing that God's going to do in your life. He says this. It shall spring forth. And the reason why I like that phrase is because it doesn't say you've got to go dig the well. And a lot of us, that's what our spiritual lives consist of a lot of times, is that we're trying to do it all on our own. I've got to go dig that well. I've got to go find that water. But if we trust in the Lord, it says it will spring forth. That He will create that water. That He will create that sustenance. That He will create that spiritual life in you. Wow. <clears throat> Letting God work. In our lives, he says, I'm going to make a road in the wilderness. If you ever spend any time in the wilds, in the wilderness, if you don't have a path, if you don't have a compass, if you don't have a direction, if you don't have a road, you're going to have a frustrating afternoon, aren't you? But God said, I am going to make a road in the wilderness. And that is ultimately who Jesus is. He is that way. He is that road. He said, I am the way the truth and the life. The psalmist of old says, direct my footsteps according to your word. God wants to direct us. And I like the last phrase too, that He's going to make rivers in the desert. When it seems that our lives are dry, when it seems like there is no spiritual health in it, that God can make a way, God can make a river in the desert. How powerful is that? Because ultimately it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John 7, 38 and 39, He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. He spoke concerning the Spirit. A river of strength. A river of vitality. A river of life through the Holy Spirit. You know, well, I don't know about all that. Well, one of the things that we have to do before we can accept, before that we can receive, is that we got to get rid of some stuff. I'd like to buy some new furniture. I'd like to buy some new furniture for my living room. But in order for me to bring in the new furniture, I got to get rid of the old furniture, don't I? I got to make room in my life for God's new works. And a lot of us are holding on to our past. We're holding on to things that don't bless us, that don't encourage us. And before you can receive something, you've got to let go of some things. You've got to make room in your life for God. Otherwise, you can't receive. Another thing is, is that if your hand is closed, you can't receive anything. If your heart is closed, you can't receive it. Why ain't I receiving anything? Well, is your heart open? Have you made room for God in your life? Or do you have so many things competing with God, you can't hear His voice? 
But God wants to do a new thing in your life right now. And it starts with that new birth. It starts with seeing God for who He is. And just like when Nicodemus came to Christ, he said, I know you're a teacher from God. No one could do these things except He was sent by God. No one could perform these miracles. Jesus said, well, if you want to go to the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. In other words, you have to rethink, you have to relearn, you have to relive. You have to be born again, born from above. And he says, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he will not see the kingdom of God. It starts with that new birth. And as a result, just like that girl, Charity, the opera singer, God will place into your life a new song, a new life, a new hope, a new vitality. The psalmist of old in chapter 43 said this, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. God wants to do a new thing in your life. You have to let Him. You have to trust in Him. And then one day, it says that when we are reconciled with God totally in heaven, God will wipe away all tears, all pain, all suffering. And it says the former things will have passed away. And it says that I will make all things new. Write these words for they are faithful and true. If you're ready for God to do a new thing in your life, Begin by seeing Him through the lens of faith. To believe in what He's done in other people's lives. To believe in what the witness of His Word. To believe in the Son of God. To repent of those sins that we see in our own lives and in the lives of others. To turn from that to the righteousness of God. To confess Jesus to be the Son of God. To be baptized. To be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And it says... If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are new. Or this morning, if you're desiring prayer for healing, for encouragement, for God to do a new thing in your life, then we want to encourage you. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you that if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.